Welcome to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AM WINA. With Price Thomas, I'm Robbie Respetto, coming to you right here in downtown Charlottesville. We want to thank our sponsor, Ty Cooper, and LifeView Marketing and Visuals. And with that, Price. So this is a uh, this is a landmark episode for us, episode three in our first live in living color. Uh, we're we're here in the studio here with Daniel Fairley. Our first this is the first person we've had in here. Wow. So this is yeah. Honored, there's man. a lot of pressure on you to get this <laughs> right. Um, and, and to so, mess this up. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so Daniel, who many of you know, uh, is currently the Youth Opportunity Coordinator for the City of Charlottesville, focused on Black Male Achievement. Excited to have you, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. <laughs> yep. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of how did you come to be you, and okay. <laughs> um, a little bit about the focus of your work. Yeah, so I'm Daniel Fairley, I'm a Youth Opportunity Coordinator focused on Black Male Achievement for the city of Charlottesville. I started, so I was born in Stafford um, and basically born and raised there, small military town near Quantico. Um, after that, I went to University of Richmond for undergrad, took a year off, worked a couple different places. Um, I always say that. I mean, I worked in the White House, but I like wow. a couple just places. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just a few places. The White House. Small area in Pennsylvania um, Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to grad school uh, up in Vermont, University of Vermont, for about two years. Uh, afterwards, I then came back down, wanted to get closer to family, get back to kind of my roots. Uh, so I started working at UVA for about a year and a half, and then I really was like, man, this is a really amazing community. I'd really love to get more in touch with it and more um, understanding of what's going on here. So basically in 2017, I started looking for new jobs and looking for new experiences. So I became a big brother. I started mm-hmm. working with 100 black men, um, and then my position became available to, for a youth opportunity coordinator. I was like, this is my dream job. I, I have to apply. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like how I got to here. Uh, and then in my job, I mean, it's just been basically doing a, a bit of both like programmatic work as well as like systemic work. Um, so kind of making sure that both the programs that I'm running are like well-founded and that they, the kids I get to work with are understanding what they need to know and understanding just kind of like the the they're getting what I want them to get out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also being able to do the systemic work, which is working with boards and CEOs and mm-hmm. superintendents to make sure that like the systems are in place that are making sure that everything that is in place for the kids are actually working the way that they're supposed to be working as well. So University of Vermont. Yes. How'd you pick University of Vermont? <laughs> it's not yeah. the place I thought you were going to say. No, no, it's not the place many people thought I was going to say. I mean, it's it's white. I always say it's white. And one yeah. of my friends yesterday said it's very, white, white. It's, 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 it's cold. Yeah. In, in yeah. every sort of sense of the word. Right, yeah, like, right, yeah. exactly. It's white people, white snow, white everything. Um, but honestly, I mean, I, I got my grad school paid for. Um, so it was like I get a free master's, free housing, um, and a stipend for two years. And I said, you know what, I can Decision's do that. Decision's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Especially after going to University of Richmond, well, and so there's there's a part of that, and we talked a little bit about this last time we spoke, just about growing up in, in Stafford. I'm a little bit familiar with, with Stafford County, and again, we talked a little bit about the schools, right? And so right. about growing up as, as black people in predominantly white spaces, and that's been sort of the arc of your entire education, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, just talk a little bit about that and kind of that, because I harness some of that, too, of mm-hmm. just like always looking around and being like, well, I guess it's just me mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And it's funny because I thought... 
honestly, after going to University of Richmond, I was like, oh, I get it. Preppy white people. Yeah. Like, I know how to deal with them. Like, this yeah. is like, I understand. <laughs> I have berries and just right, right. I totally get yeah. this. Um, and then I got to crunchy white people, right? Yeah. Which is like mm. Vermont, very, yeah. like, very you know, L.L. Bean. Birkenstocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so getting to that space was like very different because there was a time I swear I mean it was around January of like my first year there this is after I went through like an entire summer and I heard Chris Brown on the radio and I was like is this the first time I've heard a black person's voice on the radio like it was wild Um, and so I think that it was it was a new level of whiteness and a new level of like honestly appreciation for other cultures and other people um, because there was kind of like a monolith of experience that was all around me. And then so I started being able to connect with people that weren't just black, but like people that were Latinx, people that were Mm -hmm. um, Indian, people Mm -hmm. that just had like just anything of a different experience. It was really helpful to then start identifying more as like people of color and identifying and understanding that that our struggles are interconnected. Mm. Um, And so I think that that was really the helpful part for me of going to Vermont. Mm We were able to bring some black culture to Vermont. <laughs> I mean, as as much as you can, right? I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, just how much you have to like really. I started listening to podcasts a lot, and like I started really just like trying to enjoy and experience like black people that were just existing, right? Yeah. They were just happy and they were doing whatever they wanted to do. It wasn't kind of always something going on or always like a, a tragedy that we were addressing or right. something that was like an issue. Um, so I really just started enjoying like listening to black people talk. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Does that affect your career arc? Do you think? Right. Is that, mm. does that, is there a new found appreciation there from, from, for the work you're doing now and mm-hmm. sort of a, a sort of, I don't want to say renewed, but maybe mm-hmm. a reignition of like a cultural competency of like, wow, I've been, I felt like the other for so long, yeah, you know, and, and I want to whatever find that space is so that there's other kids and other people. I know there's other people that feel like that. Mm-hmm. How do I help them not feel like that? Because that exists here. Yeah. That exists. I, I went to Jacksonville. I was that kid right here mm-hmm. in Charlottesville, right? So does that, do you think about that of like, look, I know what that feels like. How do we bridge those gaps for other kids? Absolutely. I mean, like one of the things that I think about a lot is not just like how do we bridge the gaps, but how do we make sure that these kids are feeling fulfilled, right? Feeling successful, feeling like they're appreciated and that the work is appreciated. Um, so I think about ways in which I can do that every single day and trying to like work towards really acknowledging, especially with teenagers, right? Teenagers mm-hmm. are no longer Oof, that like Lord. kind of, yeah. you, you know, 11, 12 year old, like, oh, like, you know what you're a lot doing. A pushback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, you start to learn how to speak teenager and yeah. understand really like mm-hmm. when they're actually upset with you. Universal when, teenager language. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, and so I think that like that was part of my learning, honestly, and training was really understanding what does it mean for teenagers and like their own experiences? What are some things that like, what do they really want? What do they really need? And honestly, a lot of times they just want to be heard. They want to be heard and they want to feel like the, their opinions and their voices matter. Um, and they don't get that a lot. And yeah. so I think that that's become my my role when I work with them is like to hear them out and to hear like what's going on um, and to challenge them, obviously, because they're boundary testing. That's a part of their growth and development, but not to be like shocked and surprised when like they push back <laughs> on something. Right. That's yeah. what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out, like, how do I do this? Where's the line? Yeah. Um, and so I'm here to just kind of like let them know, like gently, like, hey, like that's, you know, like you're. I'm not your friend, right? I, I understand that, like, I may look young and, like, you know, I I, I know where you're coming from and I under- mm-hmm. I try to vibe with you, but don't, like, call me, like, Daniel, like, I'm your friend. I'm not, like, someone that you're just kind of hanging out with or, yeah. you know, like, it's it's become just, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, like, become a pressure to, like, figure yeah. out where, hmm. to make sure everyone knows, you know, where we stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So do you think when you're working with black students coming out of the Charlotte school, school, school system that they see a trajectory for themselves in what would be mostly white colleges? I mean, unless they choose to go to uh, like historically black college, like how does that, how do you help students figure that out? I mean, it's really hard because honestly, a lot of the kids that I work with, there's there's been so many examples of, so we'll get to interview students for KIP, which is like the Community Attention Youth Internship Program, which is one of my favorite times of the year, both KIP and the interviews, because you get to hear people that have never had any training in interviews just mm-hmm. kind of answer questions, right? And so you'll say something like- <laughs> the most honest stuff you've ever oh, heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, oh, like, how's school? I'm like, I don't really like it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Good answer. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think that like, those are my favorite times of the year, right? But I think that- one of the things I'd ask the kids in one of our questions is always like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, what's like your dream? Um, and I remember there was this one kid, a young black kid that said like, oh, I want to be a manager of a CVS. And I was like, okay, that's like a very specific goal. Like, how did you, how did you how come did you arrive to that? at that decision? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and he was like, well, I can see the CVS from my house. And uh-huh. I figure managers are older people. So I, when I get older, I want to be a manager of the CVS. Um, and to me that like put into perspective, that was his world, yeah. right? That was his experience was yeah. what I can see. And so he didn't think about UVA. He wasn't thinking about like colleges or going out of, out of town or anything like that. He was just like, oh, what I can see, this is my world. And this is what it's always going to be. And so I think that like, it's, it's not even just trying to find kids opportunities to go into colleges and figuring out what colleges they want to go to, but it's also getting them just out of Charlottesville, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of kids, I mean, I've never been to the beach or rarely go to the mountains. They'll see them, but yeah. they rarely go and like do a hike or something, let alone going to D.C. or other places that are all within relative driving distance of right. here. Um, so I, I found a lot of my experience has been like trying to figure out how to expose our young people to Things that they should have been exposed to, things that they should have had like more mm-hmm. experiences with, but they just haven't had that opportunity yet. Yeah. The container is small. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. This is Envision from News Radio 98.9, 1070 AM WINA. We are here with Daniel Fairley. Big shout out to our friend of the program and sponsor, Ty Cooper, with Life View Marketing and Visuals. I want to talk to you a little bit more about sort of that that worldview piece you just hit up. And you said something earlier that's interesting. You said... We're trying to do sort of systemic and programmatic work. Okay, right. so so first of all, that's a lot. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just read out, and I was interesting. You know, I knew your job title. I was interested in the description, and so the part I piece pulled out said address achievement gaps in African American students. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Well, good on you, well, sir. <laughs> so uh, you know, but so talk about that. Where do you start? Mm-hmm. How, how do you? Uh, what is I, I can't think of a better way to ask that question. Like, where does that start? And where does that start from a systemic point? If we understand sort of the history of our country at large, where mm-hmm. we are very specifically in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. how does that met itself out for what you said? One guy. Right. Right. I mean, I think that like part of the things that I, I always try to do is just like understanding what's where's 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 the rubber, right? Where's the road? Where is the perspective on this specific experience for kids right now. Um, And so that took me, honestly, it was about a year and a half of just doing interviews, just talking to people, just trying to figure out who are the players in town, how do you really understand where the the pitfalls are. Um, I mean, thankfully and not thankfully, we've had a couple of like 
Charlottesville's been in the national news, I got every year of my life. Like it's yeah. just mm-hmm. every time there's something, whether it's with UVA or it's with um, the city, there's there's always something that seems to happen where Charlottesville's in the news. And so that does lead to light, right? That leads to like my job, honestly, my job experience has been a lot easier trying to talk to people about racial injustice and inequities inside of our town because it was after August 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. And so I started in December and people honestly thought my job was because of the riots, but it, it, mm-hmm. it was actually in, in play a long time ago. Um, and so that's made my job easier starters to like be there and have conversations and be a part of new diversity, equity and inclusion committees. Um, but it also, I think when going into like the school system and talking to the kids, it's really been focused on like their experiences, right? Being focused on like, what is it that they need and what is it that they're feeling successful and are not feeling successful. Um, so for me, the programmatic and the systemic part is both fixing the fish and fixing the water, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's Absolutely. understanding that there are a lot of experiences that the kids are not getting, a lot of things in which they may just not even know. Um, we went to do interviews with our, our young people in like eighth grade and just talking to them about transitioning into high school and seeing what they knew. Um, and we were with Ziana Bryant and youth council and she was like, oh, did you all know that you all could take high school classes in middle school, like when you're at Buford? And resounding from the room, they were like, what? I had no idea. Are you serious? Oh my yeah. God. And lo and behold, I mean, it's really that, like being able to take algebra one before you get to high school is one of the greatest predictors on whether or not you're gonna go to college. So if you didn't even know that's an huh. option, Right, then you're huh. definitely not going to be like on track, especially in Virginia, to get not a not a competitive school. Exactly, Absolutely. right. Um, you're not going to be on, in in Virginia to get like an advanced diploma, Correct. right? Um, something which is that's what's required to. to get into again any competitive college in the state of Virginia. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, especially a competitive one. So I think that yeah. like it's it's those experiences of realizing like oh okay, so then what that says to me is that like. One, I need to help to make sure that you all in this this like group of kids are getting the experiences you're connected with counselors that are making your experience better. But also what it means is that I need to then talk to the superintendent and we need to start getting a plan in place in which this is a regular conversation, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't something that surprises you when you get to ninth grade and you're realizing, oh, I could have taken this class already. So I think that those are some of the things that I, I try to start with is understanding their experiences and then being able to translate that when I go and talk to a Dr. Atkins, uh, a Matt Haas or whomever, and just try to say like, these are some of the things I've been hearing from the kids and these are the ways in which I can see that their experiences can be changed. Yeah. Today we're back, masked up in the studio with Daniel Fairley, live in the flesh, the youth opportunity coordinator for the city of Charlottesville, focused on black male achievement. So speaking of achievement, can you talk a little bit about the roadmap for a white student coming through the middle school system here in Charlottesville um, and a black student? Like, how does that look? Is it the same, different? Oh, I mean, I think that the it's for better or for worse, again, like the New York Times article that came out was really highlighting uh, some of the disparities and the experiences that our students face. Um, I think that really it's we've a couple of different things that I point to. One is that I took a group of black men um, in our MP3 program with Dr. Paul Harris to UVA just to kind of like see the campus and like walk through um, both on like a, a tour, but then also like to talk about the, the athletics department and what it means to be an, an athlete at a Division One school. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were students that were juniors and seniors in high school. Um, and many of them, honestly, it was their first time ever like going to UVA, but not going to like a basketball game or something like that, sure. but like actually like walking through the campus. Having grown up uh, here. Right. First having grown up on here. The campus. First time. Exactly. And so we're there and we're like talking to like student athletes and things like that. And I'm seeing like young, I mean, I'm talking seven, eight year 
eight-year-old white kids that are just running through the halls. They already know where their favorite section is. <laughs> like, they are uh, in the cafeteria, like, picking up their favorite foods, knowing where the ice cream. Like, it's, it was, they were clearly well acquainted with the space, right? And then you have other kids that are just kind of like, oh, what's this? Oh, my God, they have all these food here. Oh, wow, this is so incredible. Uh, juniors and seniors. And so that, like, to me, like, was one indication of, like, oh, you all are having different experiences where someone yeah. can come here like seven or eight years old and already know where everything is so then by the time they're thinking about college they're like oh whatever uva that's like my i don't know my bottom school like i don't really care yeah. about it i can i can go if i want to but i'm not like pressed about it yeah meanwhile other like the black kids that i've worked with have no like they're just kind of like oh uva is out of my reach like that's mm -hmm. just kind of like an initial, they've already decided yeah exactly yeah. like why even apply that like, there's no way i'm going to get in yeah. um and so i think that like those are like a lot of the experiences that i've seen but also we did interviews with young kids that were, um, it was so interesting to go into like AP classes and mm -hmm. kind of talk to them about their experiences. Mm -hmm. And it was during one of those times that like there was two black kids in the class. There was one black kid that was like the black kid that was in all the AP classes. And then there was another black kid that this was his only <laughs> AP class. I know Price is laughing because we were those kids. Wait, <laughs> this is, this, I, I thought you were talking about me, but then I realized that we had this. Yeah. Um, and so, like, there was a time where, like, the the one the one black kid that has was in all the AP classes was talking, and then like the white guy. This is a class of like twenty people. Right. The another white guy in the class was like, "Oh my god, Jamal, you are in my AP class. Like, I, <laughs> what? Yeah, you are. You're in my A push class, and you're in this class. Yeah. Um. And so it was like his experience. Like Jamal was like, "Duh. Like I know that I'm the only one that's here. This is the right. only time there's ever another black guy. <laughs> yeah. And this is the only one that he's in. Um. So I think that like those experiences and seeing that there are kids and that same white kid actually talked about how he also hated math like we talked about earlier Price. Mm -hmm. like he hated math but his mom made him get into he was in all honors classes except for math because he hated math yeah and his mom made him like transition into like an honors math class like talked to the guidance counselor made all that happen and so he was in honors math hated it and then got a private tutor to like help him get through that yeah right and Which so is what yeah, it typically happens in oh, middle yeah. upper class white families. You're falling behind, you get a private tutor. Exactly, yeah. right? And so like this kid was like, but I, I hated it. My mom made me do it. And so that's very different than kind of the, oh, what did your guidance counselor suggest? Okay, whatever sure. they suggested, we'll just go with that like right. type of letting the system kind of work, right? Yeah. And, and, and and assuming that your child is getting the best experience right. without like challenging the system or even thinking that you can challenge the system. Mm. Into doing I think more it's thinking you. that you can challenge the system because mm -hmm. I would I would imagine that many black parents want to see their children succeed. Oh, want to yeah, see them absolutely. go on to college and beyond and and it's the idea about what's possible, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And and going back to that one thing you said about black students don't even think UVA is an option for them. Like who plants that seed, right? Is it the school system? Mm -hmm. Is it families? Like where does that start? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's both like it's honestly a, a lot of their ideas and perceptions are from their peers, right? Yeah. So you'll see that oh, I don't know anyone, any of my friends or any of my big my friends' big brothers or sisters or whomever that have gone to UVA, mm -hmm. right? Ziana Bryant is like one of the people that they know. They're like, "Oh, cool, like she went to UVA, like she was here in Charlottesville." Like one person, yeah. right? And so, like, that's one active and very prominent person. But I think, other than that, they don't really see it happening. And so, they're yeah. thinking that, like, okay, well, then this must just not be available or it must not happen for me. Um, meanwhile, every, like, all, almost every one of the white kids that I work with, 
um, all of them, especially when they're applying to schools, they'll like, again, apply to UVA, but then they'll apply to Brown and to William & Mary and to a bunch of other places. Um, And UVA is just one of the schools, right? And I think that that's kind of, and they really, they're not so much deciding on whether or not they want to go to UVA. It's more like, do I want to stay in town or not? Right? (laughs) And that's kind of their experience. (laughs) Right. Um, It's, they're, they're going to get in and they're going to get a couple different competitive offers, but it's, do I want to stay here and do I want to like relive this experience or continue to have this experience inside of Charlottesville? Um, so I think those are the things that I, that I see a lot with the kids that I work with is, is kind of the experience that they just don't know anything about either the university or about like what it would mean to like truly immerse themselves in that culture. When, when you work with these kids and I think about this and I think about sort of our arc, but my question is, what is the relative advantage of sending, we talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit, of, of a bunch of kids and a lot of athletes and people who I had contact with come to William & Mary from the 757, right? Mm-hmm. And so we talk about prestige, we talk about academic excellence, and we talk about that, but we don't often talk about cultural competency, mm-hmm. right? And so for you who's working with kids, how much of a consideration is it to say, look, you could go to UVA, mm-hmm. you could go to Richmond, you mm-hmm. could go to GW, right? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about going to... North Carolina A and T. Have you thought about going to Norfolk State? Have you thought about going? I mean, I'm curious about because there is this the system of it that says these schools are better, right? Right. Right. Is it how how much is it internalized though? And I haven't even thought about this in myself, and I don't know if you have. Have we internalized just kind of like I'm just used to being the only dark face of William Mary was nothing mm-hmm. to me? But if you're not, mm-hmm. is it healthy to be like go go to UVA? And try and carve out your niche or, you know what I'm saying? And so when you work with these kids, I mean, is that part of the thought process of like, look, maybe the best setup for success is to, you know, find your cultural niche in a place where you're accepted and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. you're, you can be you, not Mm -hmm. you have to code switch for another five and a half years. Well, can I just jump in? Doesn't that then speak to going to historically black college? I have a lot of friends that are black that are like, we went to Norfolk State or we went to Hampton because we wanted to be around a place we knew we were going to be understood, accepted, and, you know, have that sort of, I don't know, camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And then the impossible question is, what is the relative advantage of that, though? Yeah, Because I'm like, well, you should have just gone to Dartmouth, dude, Mm -hmm. because you have a degree that says Dartmouth, right? So, again, we talk about programs and systems. Yeah. That's the question that I'm going to put you on the spot not to answer, but I think it's probably what we'll talk about and think through the next time. It's like, what does that mean? right? Like, What does that mean for your prospects coming out the other end if we're saying we got to move this thing down the park somewhere? Mm -hmm. At some level, I think, I don't know. I mean, do we have to say, look, we just got to suck it up. We got to suck it up and go go to Vermont, (laughs) right? Right? Because that's what helps me put (laughs) you in a position for you Mm -hmm. to help the next group do the next thing. I didn't ask a question. So (laughs) the the question, I think the question for you, though, is, is that something you guys think about? Or is it really just focus on, look, we've got to sort of build the bridge first, you know, Mm -hmm. before we kind of get to the next thing? I mean, honestly, I I think that that's definitely a question that's going to be coming down the pike as far as like figuring out. If we get a system in place where college is no longer like a surprise or no longer something like a secondary thought in your Mm -hmm. junior year, if we get to a place where these kids are understanding that college is one of the many options and it's a viable option just as trade schools are a viable option, just as community college is a viable option, then once we get that in place, then I think we'll start being able to consider like, okay, what does it mean to go to an HBCU? Mm-hmm. What are even honestly some of the like code switching or the like the understanding of yourself? Everyone kind of grows into themselves when they're in college. And so what would it mean to grow into yourself in a school where there are a multitude of black people, right? There's black skaters and there's black mm-hmm. rock people and there's black people. <laughs> that are super intense and like really excited about poetry or whatever like 
what does it mean to find yourself inside of that sea of things? Or what does it mean to then find yourself inside of a space where like at University of Richmond, there's only one black fraternity. So that was a fraternity that I joined, right? There's like, <laughs> there's not many options, right? So I think that you have to kind of figure out where where do you fit and where are some of the things that you're looking for in your college experience? Yep. Mm. Can we just pause for a sec and can you give a definition of code switch? Because I think we're mm. loosely throwing the term around and a lot of folks don't know what that means. That I'm do, black. Do you want to, <laughs> <laughs> just want to point that out, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, and you can you can add on to this. It's just that you know, I, I think that in my experience in, in existing in a lot of white spaces, you change. I think I did this until I turned about thirty. Mm. Is that you change how you talk, you change how you dress, you change how you stand, you change how you address people, you hide your tattoos, you take your earrings out. Like that was a whole thing. And I remember vividly when I when I started getting getting my tattoos, my mom was just she had that mom moment and oh, not yeah. because it had anything to do with me mm-hmm. she was very worried about how the world would perceive yeah. me yeah. the reflexive aspect of mm-hmm. being 30 and black and having 13 tattoos mm-hmm. right and then decide who you were and then decide you know and decide that I was whatever I was dangerous yeah. you know and that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing how many times have you been called well spoken in your oh, life oh my god I, almost every day I feel right? like eclectic or whatever <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> you're very eclectic right? absolutely you know and you hear that and, and the thing of it to mm-hmm. me is that I never thought about it until I was probably about 20 mm-hmm. and I'm like man everyone's really shocked like really right. really surprised like, mm-hmm. oh you went to William Mary how many times you like you went to Richmond like wow yeah right yeah. you know who they don't say that to mm-hmm. right so it's again so it's all this kind of things and being in these spaces and you take you know it's that whole microaggression thing you take those those jabs and you and you kind of move forward but again I, I you know and I'd see to you to your experience but I, I felt like that a lot until I, I kind of again I think I might have grown into that a little later and finally mm-hmm. being like look this is what it is yeah I mean and I'll be honest I had that same experience with my mom so I, I like to grow up my hair and it's been um, during the pandemic, I grew out dreads, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to dread my hair. Like, whatever. Like, it's... I, I got time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I got um, And I, I literally, like, there was a time, there's a couple of times my mom, when she first saw it, she was, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to keep that? Yeah. Or, right. Oh, are those right. real dreads? Right. Um, and then, it, it no like, no lie, it was maybe about a month or so into me having dreads. Um, and she, like, had, like, a sit-down serious conversation with mm. me when she was like... I'm scared. I'm scared of you having this hair and and what people will see when they see you. And like, I, I, I can't tell you to cut it cause you're a grown person, but like, just know that this, this scares me when mm-hmm. I, when I see, cause I know how the world is and I know how the world will treat you this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that point I was like, wow, that's, I can't, I can't say no to that. Like I can't, yeah. like, even if I do love my hair, if I do, you know, mm-hmm. want to wear it the way that I want to, it's, it's understanding like there is a fear in black mothers of, of seeing their child on the news, right? Well, of seeing, seeing their black son yeah. murdered, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Let's be honest. So mm-hmm. they're going to ask you to do whatever it takes to be, to be homogenous, right? To fit mm-hmm. in. Yeah. You can't really be yourself and be accepted. For I mean, that yeah, person. sometimes you have to mm-hmm. decide sort of between your, your individualism and your mm-hmm. safety. Yeah, which which is a is a thing that I think we learn very young, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, and, and I think we we internalize that and we do it I think less as we get older, but mm-hmm. uh, we I think we've all internalized it in exactly that way of like all right well I, all right fine we'll keep it close we'll keep it tight right and we'll you right. know I'll wear long sleeves and we'll mm-hmm. be straight and we'll, we'll sort of <laughs> sort of move through the gears. Um, well, so unfortunately we are out of time. We're going to come back. We're going to get Daniel back. We'll talk about. His hair, my my body art, whatever whatever comes up next time. But I want to say a big thanks to Daniel Fairley. If you have any ideas for us or for the show, um, you can hit us up at United Way Seville. Drop us a note at Envision at UnitedWaySeville.org. Follow Daniel. Are you are you a Twitter guy? Yeah, so BMA Seville, um, everywhere you can find us. Uh, our YouTube channel, if you just type in BMA space Seville 
on YouTube, you'll find um, our How You podcast and just talking about black mental health and all that. Yeah, we're going to get into that next time we see you. Check out the How You podcast. Take your uh, take your quarantine time. Use it wisely. We owe a big thank you again to News Radio 989, 1070 AM WINA, and also friend of the program and sponsor Ty Cooper with Life View Marketing and Visuals. For Robbie, for Daniel, this is Price Thomas. We'll see you next week.